From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thanks, as always, for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your earbuds, whatever the case may be. Christos Anesti to all of our Orthodox Christian listeners. Of course, Easter being celebrated this past week by Orthodox Christians around the world. Uh, Our family, we broke our fast uh, early Sunday morning at about 2 in the morning uh, following the uh, the Resurrection Liturgy at uh, All Saints Greek Orthodox Church here in Toronto. Uh, I say break the fast. Uh, 40 days uh, without dessert. That was what I did for Lent. And, you know, that's tough for me, (laughs) i got to say. But it's supposed to be. It's intended to be, you know, difficult. You have to give up something that's important to you. That's what Lent is about, right? So that we remember. We remember... Uh, the sacrifice uh, and the crucifixion. But uh, to think of it, uh, the way I ate, I, I didn't break the fast. I smashed it into a thousand pieces. Uh, and again today, uh, the mighty Aphrodite makes this incredible traditional Greek Easter bread. It's called Tsereki, Tsereki and uh, there's nothing like it. Uh, Albert and Eric the interns are in studio with me tonight. Producer Tim Spreen is in the next studio performing his technical wizardry uh, along with Sebastian. Uh, so we've got uh, we've got lots of people hanging out tonight. It's nice, you know, to to have uh, the station with uh, uh, filled with people. I, I I often feel like a ghost here. I must say, at night when there's no one around, it's just Tim and I usually. But uh, we've got we've got some extra hands here. Uh, get on up to richardserrett.com. Uh, Elbert has posted some fascinating stories in the slide carousel, an interesting exchange between Japan's defense minister and a journalist regarding incursions into Japanese airspace by unidentified flying objects. And conservative columnist and ABC commentator George Will, who's one of my favorites, uh, says it's official. Richard Nixon, in fact, committed treason. During the Vietnam War, according to a new release of extended versions of Nixon's papers in 1968 as a presidential candidate, Nixon ordered his liaison to the South Vietnam government to persuade them to refuse a ceasefire being brokered by President Lyndon Johnson. Again, remember, Nixon was a candidate in 1968, a citizen. He was running to be president, and he convinced his liaison in South Vietnam to interfere, intrude into official government negotiations with a foreign nation. That's against the Logan Act. So this traitorous act has been speculated about for years, and uh, you guessed it, dismissed for years as just another crazy conspiracy theory, and now we have confirmation by none other than George Will. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, it's our monthly Paranormal News Roundup with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Rosemary will discuss recent DNA testing on a 19th century Russian ape woman. Uh, and we'll discuss the remarkable case of a murder that was solved by the ghost of the victim. And much more. That's paranormal researcher Rosemary Ellen Guiley at the bottom of the hour. Of course, Rosemary will be... On stage with me at Follow the Truth 2, Sunday, April 26th, and uh, she'll be performing a spirit communication experiment with her spirit boxes. Uh, and the Regent Theatre, if you haven't seen it, right there on King Street, downtown Oshawa, a beautiful old theatre dating back to at least the vaudeville era, so 1920s, and I'm guessing there must be some uh, paranormal activity there, and uh, hopefully Rosemary will uncover it live on stage. 
Uh, I've heard stories. If you haven't pur- purchased your tickets, you better do it this week because time is running out. Uh, let me give you the box office number very quickly. It's 905-721-3399. And for more information, of course, visit followthetruth.tv. Uh, there has been a lot of online buzz uh, around some photographs that one researcher has called a smoking gun when it comes to proof that aliens are visiting Earth. And uh, even though there are many articles and blogs and interviews and forum posts about these pictures, the public hasn't really actually seen them. However, they will be displayed during a special event uh, hosted by a Mexican uh, broadcast journalist uh, in Mexico City, May the 5th. That's coming up. They've been labeled the Roswell Slides and supposedly show what some say represents stunning visual evidence of a humanoid creature that was found, crashed near Roswell, New Mexico, in 1947. Here, to tell us more, are two of the foremost Roswell investigators, Tom Carey and Don Schmidt. Tom and Don, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Nice to be with you, Richard. Good evening, Richard. Good to be with you again. Ah, Don and Tom. Yes, thank you for uh, for checking in. And we do have, uh, there's Tom on the uh, HOA. It's a, uh, a great image. Good to see you, Tom. And we've got uh, Don, you're on the, on the phone. Right. We should mention that uh, the two of you have co-authored a number of uh, books, the Roswell Dig Diaries, Sci-Fi Declassified, uh, Witness to Roswell, and uh, Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of Wright Patterson. Um, let me begin with you, Tom, and uh, Don, you jump in when, uh, when, when, when you feel appropriate. Tom, how did the two of you uh, become involved uh, with the Roswell Slides? It's an amazing story, Richard. Uh, it's almost uh, three years ago, we, uh, well, I received an email from the owner of the slides. Never heard of them before, and... Uh, of course, we've had approaches before from others that claim to have uh, various items, and uh, I wanted, without going further, I wanted to actually see what he had, and uh, so we signed. We had to sign non-disclosures uh, to in order to see them. He emailed the the images, and when I first looked at them, and this is like three years ago now. Uh, a chill went down my spine. That always happens when I receive new information, a new witness, something like that. Even after a quarter century of, of uh, researching this case, I, I still get excited when new information is presented. And looking at these slides, um, uh, to me, they, they rung true because there were things on them that uh, had been described to us by witnesses. And it's an amazing story how the owner came to possess the slides because they are from the late 1940s. They've been authenticated, and uh, it, it, that's how it, it came to Don Schmidt and myself. Was uh, the uh, the owner had uh, looked online? He was not a UFO guy, and he looked online under Roswell, and uh, he came across our names somewhere along the line and uh, contacted us. And, and Don, could you explain uh, how this individual that contacted you came in possession of these slides? Well, I always, I always emphasize for the novice that my partner Tom is just his dissertation away from his Ph.D. in anthropology. 
And I was the first one to meet with the owner. I drove to meet with him. I spent the better part of two hours, so I was able to actually look and handle this evidence, these slides. And that's when, as Tom described, we were asked to sign the non-disclosure agreement, which we have professionally honored all these years. We've been criticized for it roundly that we haven't brought others into our confidence. We haven't released information. We haven't released the slides. But again, we've uh, been bound by this contractual agreement for no other reason than let's investigate them, let's study them, let's see if indeed they are depicting something extraordinary. And for Tom's background, when he tells me, as all of the other legitimate anthropologists who have examined these slides tell us that it clearly depicts something extraordinary, something beyond the pale, something beyond you know any human condition that many of the, again, novices have attributed to the appearance of the body contained within these two slides. I'm going to believe the experts. I'm going to believe Tom Carey because that's his background. When he says, Don, this is something that does not represent any human condition, I stand with my partner. And that's why Tom and I spent the better part of the first year wrestling and going back and forth with, with the owner as to what the ramifications would be for going out on a limb for standing behind something that is so extraordinary. And we realize that, you know, our careers are at stake here, our reputations, our credibility. And yet we've stood together since the beginning, and we will continue to stand, stand together. But I guess what I personally do resent is that so many of the skeptics have practically, you know, called for a Roswell Caliphate regarding the slides that somehow they have done all they can to link them with Roswell. They're the ones who have labeled them the Roswell slides. We haven't done that. Right. And they are going so far as to say that, well, if the slides go down, so does Roswell. If, if Kerry and Schmidt go down, so does Roswell. Well, that's nonsense. What was that's it, Tom, uh, that when you, you saw the slide, uh, uh, or Don, uh, either of you, that... that uh, you you said that the image on the slide there were the suggestions or that there was evidence there that that linked it to other eye, eyewitness descriptions of what alien bodies what was it yes the uh first of all the overall appearance of it it was uh, in the slides uh, there's a uh, uh a woman standing beside the the glass slab that it's lying on uh, the body appears to be three and a half to four feet tall. Uh, the overriding feature is the large inverted pear-shaped head. But the, there's one item on it on the top of the head that was described by one of the first-hand witnesses, uh, one of the first ones to the craft site, and, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the fireman, local Roswell fireman named Dan Dwyer, 
who described when he got home that night and he told his family about it. Uh, they, you know, they asked him, you know, what, what did it look like? And uh, instead of giving a detailed description, he just said, child of the earth. It looked like the child of the earth. Now, to me, I'm a city fellow, uh, born and raised in Philadelphia. Um, I didn't know what the child of the earth was. Well, the child of the earth is a... Uh, uh, it's uh, another name for it's the Jerusalem cricket or a potato bug. Well, it's it's one thing on it's something on the head, and I don't want to give everything away here. I, I want people to, sure. you know, uh, tune in and watch it, and I will describe it uh, in detail then. But there's something on the top of the head that uh, one of the eyewitnesses described, and it's on this particular creature on the slide and there's no way anybody could have known that anybody that was hoaxing something like that could have known that and it jumped right out at me and i said oh my goodness that's that's why dan dwyer called it the child of the earth and and it's there for uh for certainly myself to see but uh, and i will describe it in detail okay tom uh tom and uh don stay put we will continue to talk about this incredible photographic evidence, a slide purportedly of some alien creature. We'll find out more when we resume our conversation with Don Schmidt, Tom Carey. RoswellInvestigator.com is the website and the books Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of Wright Patterson, Witness to Roswell, and the Roswell Dig Diaries, Sci-Fi Declassified. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, joins us at the bottom of the hour right now. Tom Carey and Don Schmidt, Roswell investigators extraordinaire, uh, join us to discuss the Roswell slides. And as uh, uh, Tom and Don pointed out, uh, this is a term that is being used by the skeptics, the debunkers, that are trying to link uh, these uh, slides... Uh, purporting to show the image of a um, an alien body, perhaps uh, on some sort of a uh, an examination table that were discovered uh, a number of years ago. Uh, these are the terms used again by the debunkers, or the, the term Roswell slides. And, and, and Tom and uh, Don are issuing the caveat that listen, they are not linking these images to Roswell and the uh, the Roswell UFO crash incident. It does not uh, hang on the, uh, I guess, the uh, the evidence, uh, whatever that may be, regarding these slides. Now, it's it's possible, though, that, that there is a connection here. Is that right, Tom well, and Don? Absolutely. Just for the, the, the dating of the slides from 1947 to 1949, and as we will be demonstrating at the event in May, that there were specific uh, areas that the photographers visited during that time period that were clearly linked to Roswell, and the fact that both of them worked not only in western Texas but also New Mexico at that time. And I think above everything else, the the circle of friends who they associated with. And um, I don't think it's news to uh, the, the general public at the moment, the fact that uh, they were very closely linked to the Eisenhowers. 
President Eisenhower, who was chief of staff of the Army in 1947. In fact, these slides... So it would appear that they were granted certain privileges at that time. Uh, and it may indeed have stemmed from Roswell, but that, again, the, the, the slides cannot prove that. No. So we can only speculate. And, and uh, the individual who, who is in possession of these slides, how did, how did he discover them and, and um, where, you know, where did he find them? The, uh, the owner of the slides, uh, uh, first of all, they, they, the, the couple that took them, uh, were, they, they were, uh, the, the wife was a uh, Midland, Texas lawyer, high-powered lawyer in Midland, Texas. Her husband was a field oil geologist, as uh, Don said, where part of his uh, territory was uh, New Mexico. And uh, the slides came into the possession of the current owners in uh, around 1990. The, the, uh, the husband died in uh, 1982, and the lawyer wife died in 1988. And during a clean-out of their house and the garage, one of the uh, uh, people who was part of the clean-up crew discovered this, this huge box of color slides, Kodachrome slides. And uh, she said, oh, these look interesting, so she kept them. She took them, instead of taking them to the dumpster, she took them for herself because nobody wanted them. And uh, the, the couple uh, had no uh, children, so no one claimed them. So she kept them, and uh, she didn't look at them for a number of years. And uh, she finally looked at them, and, and, and these two slides in question were separated from all of the others. There were over 400 slides in total. But there were these two that were taped in an envelope to the underside of the uh, the lid to the box. So she looked at those and she got spooked. She says, "Oh my goodness, I don't I don't like these." And uh, she shipped the whole box to uh, her relative, who uh, has them now. He was no UFO guy, but he looked at those two slides and he goes, "Oh my goodness, uh, I don't know what this is. I wonder if they're you know anything to do with." Uh, you know, he had heard about Roswell, and uh, this is just uh, three or four years ago now. And uh, so he looked at them and said, oh, I better contact somebody who knows something about this because I don't know anything about it. So from date of discovery, which was around 1990, until we got involved was uh, three years ago. So that's how, that's how long we're talking about. Explain how this is going to play out on, on May the 5th and the unveiling of these slides. Well, Richard, even before that, I'd like to at least explain uh, so many of the critics again. Why has it taken you three years? Why has it taken so long? And the greatest obstacle, the biggest difficulty we've had, well, there actually have, were, have been two. Uh, first of all, it's like possessing a piece of physical evidence, a piece of debris, for example, from the crash site. And you just can't mail it, ship it across the country back and forth, asking uh, experts to look at it, to examine it, to analyze it. So as Tom, I mean, as we have traveled from one end of the country back and forth, trying to find experts just to take a look, examine, tell us what this is. And as the MUFON consultant in anthropology told us, you will not find a single American scientist who will give you an honest assessment of this. 
So, and we have found that to exactly be the case. They don't. They won't even look at it. They refuse to even look at it. And it's one of the reasons we've had to rely almost strictly on foreign experts, foreign scientists, pathologists, anthropologists, forensic experts. And this will be part of the event, part of the program in May, that all of these analytical reports, all of the analyses, all of the named experts, as well as the photographic experts who examine, there's a placard very fuzzy that cannot be legibly read by the naked eye, yet we've had everyone from Dr. David Rudiak to Studio Macbeth, even uh, the photo interpretation department at the Pentagon, as well as Adobe, have all told us that um, it's beyond the pale, that it cannot be read. It is, it, it's, it's, it's totally up to interpretation. So we, we truly feel we have performed due diligence. We've done everything we can to substantiate and prove what is contained within these slides, whether it is something of a human malady or something truly extraordinary. And uh, again, how, uh, how will people be able to, to, to see this unveiling? Uh, they, uh, we're, it's going to take place in a, the 10,000-seat National Auditorium in Mexico City but it will be streamed worldwide over the Internet, and uh, they can access the streaming for a small fee, of course, uh, by it, at the uh, website www.bewitness. That's B-E-W-I-T-N-E-S-S. It's all one word, www.bewitness.org. They can uh, access the Internet stream by going to that website. And, and what time will that be on May 5th? This is going to stream live, presumably. That is a good question, Richard. Uh, well, well, we're going, I mean, it's Central Standard Time, but we're going throughout the entire afternoon into the early evening. So that information would all be part of that uh, live stream site. Okay, and again, the, the, the website, if people want to, to, to watch the stream again? www be witness. That's B E W I T N E S S. Be witness dot org. And why Mexico City for the unveiling? Well, Richard, as Don said, the uh, American media were not interested. They were not interested. American anthropologists were not interested. Don, why uh, did you I, just I, mention? I, I mean, just the way you practically had the door slammed in your face on occasions. I will say, uh, Richard, that uh, uh, two anthropologists that did did give us a, an opinion were Canadian, like, and they will be uh, they will be highlighted in the in the rollout as well. But uh, we are thankful for that. Uh, one lives in Toronto, as a matter of fact. Ah, fascinating. All right, right, just not far from where I'm sitting. Okay, or somewhere in the city where I'm sitting. Yes, I, I will. I won't tell you who it is, but. He's uh, he, he lives in Toronto, actually Kingston, but he's he lives uh, he's in Toronto quite often. All right, where do you where do you place these slides in terms of the accumulation of evidence over the years for extraterrestrials visiting this planet? I mean, we have things like the you know the Twining memo and. Uh, 
eyewitness accounts uh, from from Roswell. Where do these slides fit in in terms of their importance in your mind? Well, for all of the experts who have been brave enough to look at the slides and for their constantly reassuring us that it is of no human condition, nothing that they have ever seen before, uh, over 400 pictures 400 mummies, for example, mummified remains have been examined, have been looked at. Those have all been eliminated. Uh, I mentioned the uh, forensic experts, the pathologists that have looked at the slides. And they can all tell us what it isn't. I mean, the final conclusion may indeed be this is not human. This is not of any human, you know, condition that they have ever seen. Can we prove it's an alien? Well, a picture, unfortunately, can't do that. We don't have the DNA. We don't have a tissue sample. We can't do that. But for those who are open-minded, objective in their reasoning as to if they can accept that we're not alone, that we are being visited, there had to have been pictures taken. There had to have been people who were availed an opportunity to see what was recovered, and possibly at Roswell in 1947. And we're not going to be the group of individuals who always live by the, by the model anything but extraterrestrial, anything but E.T. Richard, if I could jump yes. in just for a second, uh, as far as the importance of the slides, it, it, they are right up at the top uh, because the uh, skeptic's position is, well, she, Show me some physical evidence. Well, we can't we can't bring in a tail light or a turn signal from the crashed craft. So a a, a document of some sort would be uh, paramount, and uh, we would consider a uh, a photograph as a as a akin to a document. And uh, given the age of these slides and what they looked like, uh, it's I would place it right above the so-called Ramey memo, which is. Uh, heretofore a smoking gun of the, of the uh, Roswell incident. I, w I would consider this one step above the, uh, the, Ramey, the Ramey memo smoking gun. This would be also a smoking gun type of uh, piece of evidence. Well, where there are two slides, uh, perhaps there are more. And where there are slides, perhaps there, are, there is 16-millimeter footage. I mean, do you, do you think... Do you hope? I'm guess. I'm, I'm guessing you would say yes. That, that there, are, you know, there will be more people coming out of the uh, out of the woodwork at some point. As we have often uh, even named individuals in uh, in our books, uh, I th I, who comes to mind immediately is Frederick Benthoff, for example. He was a photographer from Washington that was brought in to take pictures of the uh, recovered bodies. And we have named other photographers who were brought into Roswell, who were it were uh, assigned to photograph every phase, every step of the retrieval of the recovery operation. So we know we know there is film. That we know there are thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of photographs for such a monumental event. And now. Or even our colleagues to say, well, yeah, they took pictures, but why should we believe that you guys managed to acquire a couple slides? Well, we'd love to believe the idea, just as you mentioned, Richard, that if there are two now, there could be more, and that this possibly may open a spigot 
at least that may provide additional information that substantiates what we're going to release in May. May 5th, 2015, you can watch the live stream at bewitness.org, bewitness.org. There's a small fee. Uh, and on that date, May 5th, they will unveil these slides. You will see the, the images on these slides. And uh, this could be a very historic Occasion. Mark it on your calendar. Bewitness.org. Uh, Tom Carey, Don Schmidt, RoswellInvestigator.com. Thank you so much for this. Thank, Thank you, you as always, Richard. Pleasure speaking with you. Pleasure is all mine. Tom Carey, Don Schmidt. next time. Absolutely. Thank you. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our Paranormal News Roundup on the other side. Keep listening. The Conspiracy Show. The truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. I always look forward to this time of the month when we receive a visit from one of the leading experts on the paranormal. She has written more than 60 books published by major houses on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias. Her work is translated into 15 languages. She's worked full-time in the paranormal since 1983, researching, investigating, writing, and presenting, and teaching. Her present work focuses in on interdimensional entity contact experiences of all kinds, technological and mediumistic spirit communications, spiritual growth and development, problem hauntings and portals, or geographic areas of intense paranormal activity. She spends a great deal of her time out in the field conducting investigations and research. She's done groundbreaking research on shadow people and the jinn. Rosemary Ellen Guiley has studied energy healing, completed advanced training in bioenergy under MyTech and Margaret uh, Wirkus, level one soul hearing, soul healing rather, under Francesca Zarnicki, and a therapeutic touch under Dolores Krieger. She's a Renaissance woman, and I'm happy to say that she's joining us at our Follow the Truth Summit coming up on April the 26th. Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, how are you? I've had a terrific weekend in Kent, Ohio, Richard, at a paranormal conference, a terrific crowd. I was very well received with my presentation on the gin. I'm happy to report that more and more investigators are taking note of this subject and incorporating it into their own research. Well, they're following your lead, uh, Rosemary, because to my mind, you have emerged as the world's foremost authority in this, this fascinating area of the gin. I certainly have. I, I never planned it that way, but it's worked out that way. Uh, I have done groundbreaking research on the gin, and it really has captured a lot of attention. Well, one of the, 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 the things that you uh, pointed out to me many years on this program, uh, and obviously you've written about this, is that the, the, the you believe that the gin uh, may, in fact, lie at the root of most paranormal activity, or you know, including shadow people, even alien abductions, which which leads us to our first story in our paranormal news roundup. And uh, we go to uh, to China for this one. China, of course, the world's most populous country, was uh, one of the world's leading economies, a huge army, uh, but it does lag behind in one particular area, and that is in alien encounters. I mean, there's been a number of of uh, high case or, or high profile uh, UFO sightings over airports and so forth. They've shut airports down. But we don't hear many uh, cases of alien encounters until now. And uh, tell us about the case of this Chinese lumberjack who claims he actually slept with an alien. And this is not uh, a joke. This is not off the cover of the Weekly World News. 
it's said that he's the first person in China to have slept with an alien. I suspect not. I suspect there have been many cases in China. They're just not reported because ufology is not very well supported in a country. It's kind of tolerated, but uh, I think many people are afraid to come forward. These alien encounters are worldwide, and why would China be excluded from that? But here's the story with this fellow, and it goes back to 1994. He claimed, and he, he and his wife were living in a very rural area. Uh, local uh, legend has that people there were kind of, you know, a little on the crazy side because they were so isolated. But uh, he claims that one night... Um, or uh, he saw a flash on a nearby mountain, thought something had crashed like a helicopter, and he was going to go salvage the metal. And he gets out there and is knocked out and has missing time. And then later, uh, at a later time, then he has this really weird experience where he wakes up, he's floating over his bed while his wife is sleeping beneath him, and this enormously tall, over six feet tall, alien woman whose thighs inner thighs are covered with this long braided hair, gets on top of him, and they have sex for 40 minutes. Uh, and then he has another experience uh, where he also floats up over his bed, goes through a map that he has hanging, is taken aboard a spacecraft where he's told that in 60 years uh, a son is going to be born, uh, who is, they hint that it's going to be his son, a Chinese peasant son. So the story is made public, and he really is ridiculed, like many contactees are, uh, to the point where he's often sorry that he said anything at all, and people said, well, he was drinking, or uh, there's this imagination. Uh, these are common arguments immediately applied to contactees. But the elements of his story are very similar to other stories told by contactees around the world. So I believe that there's merit to his experience. Oh, this encounter with, uh, I believe he said she was 10 foot, 10 and a half feet tall, six fingers, this female, we assume, female uh, alien uh, that uh, uh, he had relations with. The, the the details are quite remarkable. Uh, braided hair on on the inner thighs. Have you heard anything like this before? I mean, you say there are some parallels. What what what? Uh, we've just got about a minute here, but tell me uh, if you've heard any there of this are, before. Uh, and we we find them in gin cases too, or un, unknown alien cases where people encounter uh, human like uh, entities that are covered with long hair. And sometimes it's stringy. This is the first time I've heard of braided hair. But the long hair on human-like uh, aliens is reported in uh, not a great deal of cases, but enough to warrant it as a pattern kind of experience. All right, Rosemary, we'll take a time out when we come back on the other side. Uh, we'll talk about a, um, a, a case of a Russian ape woman, as she was described, and now DNA or perhaps uh, some other type of forensic evidence may suggest she was, in fact, a Yeti and a scientific uh, answer to the ghost phenomena. It may have to do with the very air that we breathe. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. 
Uh, let's go back to the 19th century, uh, Rosemary. And uh, there was a, uh, a woman. She was called an ape woman. And uh, now there's some suggestion. This was written up in the Daily Mail in, uh, in the United Kingdom uh, that this, this uh, ape woman may have, in fact, been a yeti. What can you tell us about her? She, uh, she was another big, hairy being and uh, had these uh, ape-like characteristics to her. She was incredibly strong, stronger than most of the men uh, who had encountered her. She could uh, run as fast as a horse. She was um, had wild characteristics, an animal-like uh, visage on her face. And she was called an ape woman, and she was trapped by hunters. Uh, she was impregnated by four different men, so she has descendants. I don't think she was uh, a yeti. I think she was an unusual human being. Uh, in fact, uh, a modern scientist who was able to get DNA from her descendants identified her as coming from Africa, but uh, said she was very interesting because her DNA didn't belong to any known group. So the, the speculation was that perhaps her ancestors had migrated to the Caucasus. Uh, this was in uh, a region that was once part of Georgia, and that uh, they had been so isolated that uh, they had never developed the way most other human beings had. Uh, it doesn't make her a Yeti, uh, and I think that the experts are kind of looking in the wrong direction for this, because all the characteristics of uh, the Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, uh, these big hairy-like uh, entities, uh, they, they don't act like uh, people, they don't leave DNA, they don't leave carcasses, bones, or any evidence. They seem to come and go interdimensionally. That's been one of the curious things about them. And no one's ever been able to capture any uh, physical evidence um, that stands up to scientific scrutiny. All we have are subjective sightings and some photographs and controversial videos. So I think uh, some experts here may be trying to marry two different things. Uh, to me, it's like fitting a square peg into a round hole. Uh, the uh, the, the uh, person who conducted the DNA testing, Professor Brian Sykes of the University of Oxford, analyzed the DNA of her four living relatives. These, were, these are grandchildren who still reside in the Caucasus region. Uh, and as you say, he found West African genes. But why then would he go on to speculate that perhaps uh, Zena, as she was known, was somehow a Yeti. I mean, where does he get that from? It's like the idea that if you're big and hairy, you've got to be related to Bigfoot. Uh, and it just doesn't compute. And in fact, we have other cases uh, from um, the 1800s and even into the 1900s of wild hairy men being uh, seen uh, in various places around the world. In the 1930s, for example, there was uh, a famous case of a wild hairy man seen in the hills near Vancouver, B.C., and uh, many people saw what this uh, uh, ape-like man who ran around naked, which Santa, the, the alleged Yeti woman, did as well, um, out living in the wilds. So uh, these might be unusual people. Uh, and I think the professor is right about that. She's very unusual as a human being, but it just doesn't translate across this huge gulf into the, the mystery creature of Sasquatch, Yeti, the abominable snowman, 
these various terms for this other creature. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us, our paranormal investigator who joins us uh, once a month on our Paranormal News Roundup, and uh, her website is visionaryliving.com. Get on up to her bookstore. Uh, she has penned no fewer than 60 uh, on the paranormal supernatural arena. Uh, now, an interesting study by a U.S. university uh, that shows there may be a possible link uh, between the um, the air quality of a room and the hauntings reported uh, to have been in it or to have been seen in it. What do you um, what do you make of this study that perhaps spores or toxic air causing hallucinations may be at the bottom of hauntings, Rosemary? Very slim evidence, and this is another big stretch in my book. Um, there have been uh, speculations uh, on the effects of mold and uh, toxic things in the air on other kinds of paranormal or crazy cases like the Salem witchcraft hysteria from 1692 uh, has been blamed by some experts on mold in the rye bread that they were eating. Uh, And there's evidence that, yes, certain kinds of mold uh, in the air and food can cause hallucinations and fantasies in some people, but it's not enough to cover all ghost cases, and uh, I think that uh, these researchers here are on pretty slim ground. Uh, They might find some parallel, but uh, it doesn't account for the haunting activity that goes on in millions of places, uh, outdoors as well as indoors. That's a great point, Uh, and the researchers are from Clarkson University in New York, and uh, they admit, you know, that uh, the, uh, the links are not well-established at the moment, Uh, but they say many hauntings are associated with prime environments to harbor molds. Uh, But as you say, uh, you know, there are hauntings in outdoor locations. Anyone who has been, for example, to a Civil War battlefield and and, and recorded uh, EVPs or photographed uh, strange activity uh, can attest to that. I don't think you would find mold uh, outdoors in a battlefield. Uh, But, I mean... It's possible that in some cases uh, that this could be the uh, what's what's behind it. Um, when you there go, there may be a tenuous link. Well, is that something that, for example, you might consider checking out if you were investigating a haunting in a house? Would you routinely check for a mold infestation? Uh, I never have myself, and uh, I can't think of any other investigators who've incorporated that into uh, trying to identify natural causes. Uh, It would require some substantial testing of of, uh, air quality. Uh, But here again, I don't think that you could link every single paranormal uh, phenomenon to uh, something like mold that might be uh, floating around in an air system. And it would have to affect percipients on a fairly uniform basis uh, which paranormal phenomena do not. Uh, you can take several people in any given environment, and they're not going to experience haunting activity equally. You also have brand-new homes where activity is reported because uh, it, it seems to be linked to energy in the land. So here the mold argument would just fall completely down. That's a great point uh, in, in terms of new constructions because in this article... Uh, it it, it um, shows a picture of the Frederick Remington Museum in New York, uh, which is also known for its reported hauntings. I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you, have you investigated the Frederick Remington Museum? 
I have not. Uh, but I'm looking at a picture of it, and it's completely modern and refurbished. Uh, you know, it does not look like a, a place where you would, you know, you'd have a mold problem. Well, you know, it's it's perhaps worthy of further investigation. It may be one small piece of the puzzle. It's possible that, you know, certain hauntings could be attributed to that. But as you say, there is no way that you can account for uh, for all hauntings, places in new constructions, uh, outdoors, and so forth. Uh, this next story is, uh, is a remarkable one. I've not heard this before. This is the story of a ghost who solved her own murder. Set the stage for us, Rosemary. This is a famous case, and I've written about it in a couple of my my own books. It's the only known case uh, of a ghost that went to court to solve her own murder. And her testimony was allowed in court. You can imagine that happening today. This happened back in the uh, late 19th century in a remote place in West Virginia where a young woman named Zona... um, Hester married uh, a stranger who came to town named Edward. Uh, he went by the nickname Trout Shoe. He was kind of a ne'er-do-well fellow, and uh, they married very quickly. And within months of being married, she was mysteriously found dead. And uh, a servant boy found her uh, in in her home. It appeared that her neck had been broken, uh, and... Uh, she was uh, quickly buried. Her husband uh, wouldn't allow a doctor to uh, examine her, uh, claimed it was an accident while he was away working. Zona's um, mother was very suspicious of her son-in-law, whom she detested. And uh, she, she took the winding sheet off Zona's body and claimed later that when she went to wash it, it turned blood red. And this to her was a sign that foul play had taken place. Well, I'm sorry, what type of sheet was it? It was the winding sheet, a, winding uh, a sheet, sheet. that wrapped, wrapped around a corpse. Oh, like a shroud, uh, almost like a shroud. You like a shroud. Oh, I see. Okay. And so she she managed to get Zona's body exhumed because she went to the authorities and she claimed that her son-in-law had murdered her daughter. Uh, now she had dreams on four nights. She wanted to know the truth. She was visited by the ghost of her daughter in her dreams uh, over four nights, and the dead. Sona explained in detail how uh, Trout had strangled her. He'd gotten mad at her. He was had an abusive temper. He had strangled her and murdered her. He, and she, her description was that he squeezed off her vertebrae, and squeezed off her neck at a certain vertebrae. It was a very odd description. Well, they dug up her body, and lo and behold, she had been strangled at exactly the spot where the ghost had claimed. So uh, Trout was accused of murder, and he gloated that they would never pin any evidence on him. In jail, he talked about wanting to have seven wives, and Zona was the third wife, and you know he was going to get off and uh, go on to marry four more women. The te- testimony of the dead woman was admitted in court. Now, um, uh, Zona's mother, Mary Jane Hester, uh, was told by her own attorney, don't say anything about your dreams because the jury will think that you're kind of touched in the head. Uh, oddly, it was the son-in-law's attorney who brought up the experiences in an attempt to discredit the mother. Right. And it backfired on him. The jury bought the whole story, uh, and Trout was convicted and sent to prison where he died of illness 
about three years later, a lynch party tried to get him out of jail and lynch him. They were so upset. Uh, so he wound up dying in prison. So there you go. A, the testimony from beyond the grave of Mary Jane Hester um, convicted her uh, her killer. Remarkable story. Uh, Rosemary, and you tell it so well. I appreciate it. Uh, again, the website Visionary Living, and we're very excited uh, that you will be up here in uh, just two weeks' time for our Follow the Truth 2, uh, our paranormal experiment live on stage in spirit communication. Thanks, Rosemary. I will see you soon, Richard. Bye-bye. And goodbye to you. Uh, goodbye to you all. Uh, Tim Spreen, thank you. Sebastian, uh, the Albert, uh, Albert and Eric, the interns, back next week with a brand-new show. Hope to see you then. Move over, Aphrodite.